Well, this will be the first in a series of interviews with uh, the Portland delegation to the State House in Augusta, here in Maine. I'm Ken Maine, and with me today is a gentleman who's running for a fourth term consecutively in the State House. He represents District 37 here in Portland. In square mileage, the largest of the districts here in Portland, of the State House districts, is Richard Farnsworth. Hi, Richard. Good morning on this uh, beautiful day, actually. It's quite nice. Yeah, and as we record this tonight, the World Series starts. Uh, and just, I'm going to be obnoxious for a little bit. We, we live in a land that is mostly Red Sox country, and that is one of the participants in the World Series. Most certainly. Um, having uh, gone to grad school in Boston, right down the street from uh, uh, Fen- the Fenway, why, uh, that's an important part of the culture here. Yes. But today we're here to talk about the midterm elections as they relate to Maine and the House District here in, in Portland, the House District seat in, in question. But also, uh, as an aside, I think, and, and I'm getting up there in age, Dick, um, in my lifetime, I can't think off the top of my head of a more important midterm election for this nation and, of course, for the state and then locally. Well, I think the importance is the fact that we have a transition going on. We'll, we'll have a different governor. Uh, the question will be, uh, what are the composition of the House and the Senate in terms of uh, majority-minority uh, population? And uh, sort of rethinking uh, what kind of direction we want to take uh, in terms of the way in which the state is moving in order to achieve more um, equity, I believe, for, uh, for the population of our state. Mm-hmm. I think in the past we have uh, seen a skewing away from uh, providing the kind of uh, safety net and that sort of thing that is needed by our population. And we may want to try and readjust that. Looking at uh, something from Ballotpedia, we've had Wikipedia and we have Ballotpedia. These people do a terrific job of canvassing all of America, all of the House and Senate districts, every race that's important, really. And here in Maine, uh, Democrats, of which you are one, correct, hold right now or prior to the elections, a 73 to 70 majority. And uh, there are seven seats held by independents and one is vacant. All 151 House seats are up for grabs, up for election on November 6th. This is your hopefully fourth term in the State House this time around. You did run in the 1990s and serve two years then. Uh, That's correct, in the 118th. uh, And that was under the King administration, as a matter of fact. Mm-hmm. And uh, that, that was a very, very, uh, we had a very strong majority in the House at that particular time. So when it came to budget things, uh, we were able to put through what we call a majority budget. That's something that we are able to get done by the end of March so that we don't have to have this crisis at the end of June in order to try and get things resolved. And, uh, you know, at that particular point, the governor, or Governor King, was uh, very willing to work with us because I think he recognized the need to get on with business as opposed to continue the wrangling. Let's talk about your race here in District 37, Richard. Your opponents are Jane Fry and uh, the independent in the race, Benjamin Pollard. Uh, correct. Mm-hmm. I will say that, from my understanding, Jane Fry's uh, name is not on the ballot. She has dropped out. I had talked to a couple of constituents who had turned in their their absentee ballots, and they indicated that her name was not on there. So I think at this particular point, it is uh, uh, Mr. Pollard that is the only significant mm-hmm. uh, opponent. That said, three terms consecutively, 
obviously you hope the people of Portland and your district send you back for a fourth term. The foremost reason for it is unfinished business. Well, there's a unfinished business in two ways. One is some of mine, um, which has to do with uh, universal pre-K, uh, I think issues around the homeless uh, population in our city and in the state as far as that's concerned. I, I really believe that uh, the homeless issue is a statewide issue that Portland is carrying a good deal of the burden for, uh, as well as uh, education funding and making sure that we're able to uh, keep uh, going in the direction that we had started to go in terms of trying to achieve the 55%. But uh, there's a second level, and that is the unfinished business related to the uh, senior housing bond that has never been uh, processed the final uh, finalization of the marijuana rules and that sort of thing uh, which are going to be i think very uh, challenging we've passed the law now the question is are the rules going to be made in order to work with that for for the local municipalities uh, we also have the um, some major issues around the continuing the expansion of uh, Medicaid, which the voters have approved. Uh, the challenge that we have is the, the fact that the voters approved by referendum uh, what they wanted to see happen, but the administration has refused to implement. And that is a, a part of the unfinished business that we're going to have to deal with in the legislature this next, uh, next time around. One of the things that this nation is facing is an epidemic of opioid addiction. Mm. And Maine is, is right up there. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and you've spoken to that. You, you have yes. worked on, on that behalf in, in the Statehouse. Correct. Uh, I have been, uh, well, at the local level, I was on the uh, co-chair of the task force that, the, that Mayor Brennan set up for the city of Portland to take a look at the issues that we have here and how we could develop a comprehensive and coordinated initiative around this particular issue. Uh, at the state level, we have uh, been, of course, I always say that when you're in the legislature, you never do anything on your own. You really, in order to get something done, you need to work as a team. And so I've been actively participating with uh, the movement to provide additional funding, uh, the research that has gone on with the, with the opioid task force, uh, and the bringing of legislation to uh, to the members of the of the uh, uh, house at least uh, in order to get some uh, things done uh, one of those was basically uh, something that came before the education committee which I happen to be on ha having to deal with uh, education in the public schools around uh, substance abuse disorders and that sort of thing. And so uh, that has been a very, very critical issue because uh, if we are able to get people to make those kinds of decisions at an earlier age, we won't have to worry about it when they get to be in their 20s and 30s. That gets into another type of team effort, and that is the parents are involved too. Very much so. And when you talk about 
uh, public education, uh, we basically are having to begin to shift our focus so that it isn't just so much uh, you send your kid to school and we'll do the education thing. It is becoming much more of a team effort where you need to involve the family as much as possible in the, in the process in order to maximize your impact. That has to do with two things. One is not only the fact that they are then aware of what the public schools are doing, which I think is extremely valuable, but they can also support what is uh, what the schools are doing in the home, which I think is the other piece that needs to be put into place. We in Maine, we're a gray state. Uh, may not come as a surprise to a lot of people, but some people listening from away. Right. <clears throat> Uh, present company included. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and therefore, health care and elder care become super important. Uh, very much so. And, uh, you know, try to avoid self-interest. I keep, uh, keep out there walking around. So uh, every, every day you can get up and stand up, why, well, that's a good day. <laughs> but uh, it most certainly is. And, the, uh, you know, we've been providing pieces of that particular kind of service for a number of years. Um, the department has uh, two or three different programs that are providing a lot of in-home support. <laughs> and we do that uh, certainly uh, also in terms of families who have children with uh, disabilities. Uh, in-home support is a section uh, 2028, 20, I believe it is, is what we use in the, um, in the Medicaid uh, line. And so uh, this really is an important service. But the, the biggest issue is, do we have uh, enough in order to meet the needs of our aging population? And I think there are uh, two or three issues that we need to take a look at. One is, uh, I think theoretically, I couldn't agree more. People want to stay at home if they possibly can, uh, as long as uh, they as long as they can, uh, we number one. Number two, we don't have the nursing home capacity in order to handle people just to plunk them in because Medicaid doesn't pay the, the cost of nursing care. And so as a result, nursing homes are inclined to uh, do the appropriate case mix in order to keep them uh, basically solvent. And as you are well aware, we've had two or three uh, nursing homes in the uh, rural parts of our state that have had to close because they lost that, that case mix, which I think is a critical piece. But the other side of that is the fact that there is a price tag on it. How do we take and meet that particular kind of price tag? Do we need to have new programs or we do, do we just need to beef up what we currently have? Uh, do we need to appropriately pay these people and train them so that they can provide the service at a very professional level, which is going to be becoming increasingly the case? And uh, also, do we have the availability of, of uh, workforce in order to do this kind of work? Uh, so I think there are some serious questions, and I know the, the referendum, I've gotten uh, some uh, conversations with the people at Maine People's Alliance who uh, were pushing this particular referendum. A and the, uh, the concern I have is uh, the mechanism for payment, uh, which is an increase in taxes over and above a certain level. And I, uh, the, the theory behind that is, well, it just continues on the, uh, what you'd be paying for Social Security. Uh, that is true. But I think that we need to take some other ways of, of doing it because it, I think it does tend to 
make people feel as though they're being discriminated against. Mm -hmm. And we saw what happened with the with the, the school funding issue, the three percent um, that just sort of disappeared. Uh, that's one of the interesting. Uh, referenda that uh, sort of uh, just nobody even mentioned a word it just sort of disappeared off the face of the earth so uh, that's uh, the other thing but I think the really critical thing is going to be do we have the workforce to basically provide the service effectively and I, I don't think we do uh, we don't have the workforce to fill the hundreds and hundreds of jobs that we have in the state of Maine we, uh, we cry uh, that we need to have more people uh, and that is true. I don't have any qualms about that. But, um, you know, I, I don't think we have the workforce availability, which is a critical issue. Not having enough money. And I'm going to get into trouble with the tourism people here in the state, but this needs to be said. Uh, and this is a conundrum for myself and my significant other and everyone voting here in Maine uh, this coming election, November 6th. We have always the ballot issues, the ballot questions. Mm -hmm. We've always supported education. We've always supported infrastructure. Um, we've always supported science and technology. And there's a price to be paid. Correct. You're borrowing. You're always floating bonds and borrowing money and borrowing money. We get to roads and bridges, infrastructure. And we've always supported that. We have to in Maine because they are in notorious, a lot of them are in notorious states of disrepair. <laughs> Terrible shape. <laughs> yeah, that's, you said it. How many shock absorbers do you go through in a year? Yeah. Um, and yet here's another bond issue mm -hmm. on, on, the, on the ballot. Uh, is it 100 and something million dollars? I think it's 109, uh, yeah. which is a pretty good chunk of money. Yeah, and, and this has been the... There's a phrase, kick the can down the road. Mm -hmm. This has been an issue. People go to the polls, they go, oh, sure, what's wrong with that? We borrow the money. Uh, uh, yeah. We're in hock, many multiple millions of dollars in those funds. It, yes, it's all well and good to, to pay the money and fix the roads and bridges if indeed that gets done, and we have no reason to believe it won't. But where does it end? Where, where, where do we put future generations, maybe the next one, behind the eight ball? Well, I think that becomes the uh, the big issue, now, not just with transportation, but also in terms of some of the human services uh, uh, things. Uh, do we pay for it up front, or do we once again sort of kick the can, you know, borrow and just hope that something happens in the future? My my own feeling about uh, transportation is that we need to get serious about f figuring out alternative ways in which we can fund uh, transportation uh, uh, services, uh, infrastructure development, that sort of thing. Primarily because uh, we are looking at a uh, an industry that is rapidly moving away from gasoline usage which I think is good. I'm not thrilled about uh, all of the uh, pollution that we pump into the air every day because we have a rush hour that is loaded with cars. You know, So we need to get serious about that issue, but also the fact that uh, we need to, uh, the cost of construction uh, or repairs on roads and bridges is going up. So we need to get serious about uh, figuring out alternative ways in which we can fund uh, the transportation issues. I would say the same holds true, uh, that we, we shouldn't be looking at tacking on a, an additional tax here or an additional tax there, 
but I think we need to probably take a look at our overall tax brackets and income tax and corporate uh, income tax and rethink how we do that all the way up uh, the line. Uh, I know the last time through, uh, and certainly our uh, Rep Republican colleagues have always supported tax cuts, especially for people in the upper tax brackets. But I think that we need to basically rethink how we do this so that we uh, appropriately share the burden for the people who can afford to do it. And uh, I don't think we're anywhere as near that right now. Six years in the House, you're looking for a fourth and final term, term limits. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Looking back on those six years, and perhaps more importantly, the last two, of what are you most proud? Well, I would say that um, the uh, making some significant inroads in terms of uh, universal pre-K. I think that's been a, a real valuable uh, experience, and uh, it's something I can continue to push on because it's an ongoing kind of a, a process. But I think the the other important part of that is quality universal pre-K. Underline that quality word because I think we need to make sure that the uh, what the service that the public schools are providing is really achieving what it is we want to, and that is having young kids ready to enter the public schools and to be able to read and to uh, learn by uh, their own initiative in many cases. And uh, at this particular point, I don't think we have been able to provide the public schools with that kind of uh, support. The history is uh, also very different in terms of if you're asking the public schools to do more at that uh, more introductory level at uh, ages three and four, you're not talking about just dealing with the child. You are really having to much more involve the family in that whole process. And as I've said before, it impacts on the way in which education provided on uh, all the way through uh, a child's educational experience. But nonetheless, you have to work much more with, with the families. And I don't think that's something that the public schools, uh, maybe, maybe some have been successful at achieving that, but I think for the most part, their approach has been pretty much, you send us our kid, your kid and we'll take care of it. And I think more and more of the schools are beginning to realize that they have to uh, involve the families in this process in order to make it work. And uh, so, we, but we need to provide them with the technical support in order to help them to learn how to do that because they have never, they don't have a lot of experience there. Uh, I think the other thing that I'm most tickled about is, um, and of course this has to do with uh, what my job was years ago with uh, Woodford's Family Services, was this last session we were able to firm up significant rate increases for the providers of residential services to people with disabilities uh, in order to basically allow the system to survive. When we closed Pineland, the whole idea was that uh, when you move people into the community, if you expect that system to do the job with no backup system because Pineland is gone, uh, that was where people used to get sent when they had significant behavioral issues and that sort of thing. It's gone. So now we deal with them in the, uh, in the, the community. Mm. 
but these providers were starving to death. And you, you can't set up a system and then say, well, gee, that's great, you know, do, do your best and you know, uh, let us know if uh, you're having any problems. Well, they let us know very, very clearly that they were having problems. They were starving to death and we actually had some closures. But uh, working with, uh, and I think my background also gave me a somewhat louder voice uh, in the delegation to basically say, uh, you people are not, are, we can't fool around with this. If you want those people back on your doorstep, um, it can happen overnight. Mm -hmm. And we need to provide this, the support in order to make the system work. You would do it if it was Pineland. We need to do it now. So that was also, I think, one of my, one of my uh, best, um, best efforts. And once again, it's not something you can do on your own. It's just a case of you get people and they, they listen and we move forward. And that's the important thing. Our guest is Richard Farnsworth. He is running for re-election in the Portland District 37, Portland being the largest city in the state. And this would be your fourth term there. Next to last question. Let us say all that works out for your party and Janet Mills becomes the next governor of Maine, and the Democrats continue their majority in the House. Mm -hmm. Whole different feel up there the next two years, won't it be for you? Wow. <laughs> I guess. And uh, that's a part of my uh, motivation also, was to have a different governor. Uh, even, even if it was Sean Moody, different personality. And I think that, uh, you know, that would still make it a, a much easier kind of uh, road to hoe uh, as far as that's concerned. But at this particular point, um, it would be delightful to have Janet there. I think the uh, initiatives around uh, achieving uh, closer to the 55% of public education, uh, to be able to uh, take a look at uh, restoration of some of the safety net issues, um, maybe taking a look at the way in which the Department of Health and Human Services delivers services, maybe a more uh, uh, customer service model as opposed to sort of a, a, a bait and switch uh, kind of a thing, would be um, uh, certainly a delight in terms of uh, being able to uh, move, move us along, I think, uh, in terms of as a state. One last question. Uh, and some would say that in this arena, character, we as a nation have lost our way uh, when we start electing people. Do we look at character anymore? Does it matter to people anymore? I personally think it does. I think it's the most important thing you could know about someone you may or may not vote for. Let's speak to your character. I mean, this is a personal story. When I first met Richard Farnsworth, he was on our doorstep uh, campaigning for his first go in summer of 2012. And at the end of our conversation, we got into the past. You graduate of Ohio State, uh, post-grad work at Boston University, as you said. And we started talking about the 60s. I was in the military between 66 and 68. This gentleman here, as a young man in that time frame, made an important decision about taking a, a more important bus ride. You want to tell us about that? Well, it, it was, and um, the the fascinating thing was that uh, many of my professors at BU had also been Martin Luther King Jr.'s professors, and so when the issues at Selma began to bubble up, um, we 
the the support was uh, very strong. So uh, over spring break one year, uh, we right after the uh, the the attempt across the bridge was halted by the brutality down there. We loaded up a bus of professors and uh, our students, and we took off. Now, the interesting thing is that my roommate was uh, also a Buckeye, uh, but not Ohio State Buckeye, but he, was, he grew up in Oberlin. Mm-hmm. He was black. Um, his family was uh, middle class. And the, he, um, we decided we were going to do this thing together. So it was a, a bond uh, that continues to exist. <clears throat> and so uh, we got on the bus, and we got talking about it. And we said, uh, uh, I didn't, he said, I didn't tell my folks. He said, because they would never have let me <laughs> make this trip. And I said, well, I didn't either, because for the same reason, you know. <clears throat> but he had actually um, been to my house in uh, Ohio when we were in, uh, I was uh, at BU in uh, School of Theology. And we were uh, had seminary singers, so he had actually been to my house, so my parents knew him, and so that was not like was a as much of a big deal. But we decided that we we're going to do this together, and so we went down, and it was scary because we were, uh, it was about the time when the bus burnings were going on, and uh, the, the brutality for people who were coming in from the north was was really pretty frightening. But we did it anyway, and it was a it was a fascinating and enriching experience in terms of being able to say, when we have a common cause, we can overcome incredible things, and I still believe it. It's it's kind of what you leaned on your entire political career exactly. and, and your life. Yeah. Well, it's 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 the way you do business. Mm-hmm. Simple as that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're honest and. Um, Hopefully, uh, people recognize that, and uh, you, uh, if you make a uh, if you make a promise, you try to keep it. And uh, sometimes it's difficult, or at least if you can't, you talk to people about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Dick Farnsworth went up at the Capitol in Augusta in the State House of Representatives. Uh, this would be your fourth term, November sixth. Pretty important election coming up two weeks from today. I guess so. Um, <clears throat> both uh, in Maine and also nationally. I mean, it's our chance to begin to repair some of the damage that has occurred over the previous administration, and there has been a lot uh, in terms of state government. The idea of, from the ultra-conservatives is uh, shrink uh, government to the absolute mi- minimum and then, what do they say, uh, flush it down the toilet or mm-hmm. whatever. Um, it doesn't, doesn't work. Uh, you know, people need a support system out there. Nationally, we need to totally turn around. It's just appalling. You know, you talk about character. Yeah, we've been electing a lot of characters uh, (laughs) in public office, and it amazes me uh, how we keep doing it. It just doesn't make sense. I think that bell is our our, uh, notice that we've we've had enough time. Richard, I want to thank you for sitting down with us. I hope on November 6th, you here in Portland and everywhere, however you vote, vote. It's not only a privilege and your right, it's a massive responsibility. And- a- absolutely. In fact, I have uh, down on my desk 
a, uh, a bunch of stickers that I'm going to put on my signs that say vote today. So I got to run around early on uh, Tuesday morning and put those all on my signs so that people at least get another hint that it's really important to get out and vote. Not just because it's the nice thing to do, but because it is our civic responsibility. And uh, I'm not sure how we drill that into people's heads uh, in this uh, country in order to make sure that people not just um, occasionally do it, but it becomes a part of our the way we live. I'd like to think that what we've just done here today is one way. I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. We'll right. give it our best shot. All right. That's all you can do. Richard Farnsworth, the best of luck on November 6th. Thank you much. Um, I appreciate that and, and uh, look for the best. I'm Ken Main. This is Indy3.net.